0: Well this morning we are uh we're going to push back out into the series that we began at the beginning of the summer. And in order to do that, it might require a little bit of a recap uh because it's it's been a couple weeks since we've uh since we've been there. Uh for good reason. We had uh baptisms a couple weeks ago, which was uh, I felt like a great diversion, um, always a worthy diversion. And then last week, uh, with me being flat on my back, uh, we did not continue, but uh, Karen stepped in and, and gave us, uh, I believe it was Exodus 33, is that right, Karen, that I spent some time with. So, uh, I don't know if you've, uh, all of you have been through uh, the Sermon on the Mount well, that's just a fancy religious Christian way of saying a message on a mountain um, that Jesus gave, uh, one, of the, one of the more famous sections of his teaching that, uh, that, that you hear a lot about. And we are going to continue with that, but, but what we've done is, is we've, we've sort of broken it down into, uh, into different sections. And the, this particular section that we're dealing with, we're calling Facades and Foundations okay now the the sort of the point of all of that is looking at the motives and the heart attitudes behind the things that we do um, for God in response to God you know the, the religious activities that we do the spiritual disciplines that we do what is the motive behind it what is the heart behind that activity now we've got these sitting around the stage and the reason for that is to remind us of our uh, kind of our tag question as we've gone through facades and foundations is who's applauding? And essentially what, what that means is, as George uh, started us off a, a month or so ago, the, the question is who are you doing these things for? Who is your audience? And, and essentially saying, If you're doing these things, these spiritual activities, if you're doing these spiritual activities to impress other people or to be recognized by other people, then their applause, once it's faded away, means that your reward has come and gone. That was your reward. Good job. But if you're doing these things with the intention and the motive of growing and knowing Christ more and and deepening your relationship with Him, not, not so that other people think you're so spiritual, but so that you can actually have more of Him and His Holy Spirit so that you can actually not promote yourself, but actually make His name more famous and make His name more known, if that's your motive, then Scripture says your reward will be far greater than what you can even imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, if you've been in church for a little while, um, then, then maybe, hopefully, this time that we've just come out of uh, in this series of spending some time with the Lord's Prayer, hopefully... Uh, that has sort of revitalized your view of, of what that, uh, that section of Scripture is about. It's unfortunate to me and unfortunate to us here at Renovation that that prayer that we're coming out of in this text, that that prayer has been reduced to something that we just recite, usually with a measure of boredom in the middle of a church service, that we stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and oh, Father amen. And that's the end of it, right? I just, I just don't think, and I could be wrong, but I just don't think when Jesus taught that on that mountain to that group of people that he was hoping and praying that someday people would in a boring, sleepy tone recite it in the middle of a church service. I don't think that's what he had in mind. I think what he had in mind was to say, this is a model of how you can have a conversation and a relationship with me. And it's not for anybody else. It's simply between me and God. And so the question that, we, that we're going to deal with really is who are these things for? And at the end of the day, do we just want this? Oh, good job. That was a nice prayer. You know, or Man, you really sang that good or, you know, did you, you know, wow, that was a great sermon or, or, man, you must be so spiritual because you did this or did that. Well, here's your trophy. Congratulations because that's all you get. Here's your applause. Or do we really want to begin to live as if we are citizens of the kingdom of God? Because that looks completely different. And we've talked about the fact that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that has already come. When Jesus came, he ushered in the kingdom. But we also believe he's coming again. So what does that say about the kingdom? That says that the kingdom is already and not yet. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. Again. But we get to participate in the activity and the relationship with Christ in a kingdom lifestyle now, if we only will make ourselves available to do so. So what I want us to look at today uh, is really this this idea of forgiveness and how that relates to our development and our growth as a follower of Christ. Now as I'm looking over the messages that I've done here so far, and we've only been here since January, so we don't have a long history. But as I look over at the messages that I've done here so far, it seems like half of them are on forgiveness. Um, and a matter of fact, I was preparing this one and Caroline said, my wife said, do you think God's wanting to say something to you about forgiveness? Because like every time you're called on to speak, it's about forgiveness. Um, so yeah, maybe God does want to say something to me about forgiveness. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he probably does. And I think today he wants to say something to all of us about forgiveness, hopefully. Um, and and it's interesting, and I'll, and I'll just kind of let you behind the curtain here a little bit. Uh, a lot of churches, you know, plan how they what they speak on and all that a lot of different ways. I'm not saying there's a right way or a wrong way, but in our family here at Renovation, we've chosen to, for the most part, to just preach through the scripture. We're we're not, every now and then we'll do a topical type series. You know, we did a series on forgiveness around Easter time. Every now and then we'll do that. But for the most part, we're just chugging along through God's, through God's word. Okay, here's the reason behind that. And And I just, I don't know that we've ever said this, but it's probably good to know. The reason behind that is because if we're left to pick what we say from God's word, we may not pick all the things that God wants to say to you. But if we allow God's word to dictate where we go, then we're guaranteed to stick with what God has to say. Does that make sense? For instance, about five weeks in uh, after we planted in January, about the fifth week, um, George did a message on divorce. I can guarantee you that there is no church planting guru or book that says in the fifth week of your new church preach on divorce. Okay, that's probably not in the uh, you know in the the purpose driven curriculum you know to starting a church. But what it is, is we decided we're going to preach through this section of scripture. And when it gets to the hard stuff, we're not going to skip it. We're going to deal with it. And when we don't know the answers, we're going to say, we don't really know all the answers, but this is what God's word says. So let's wrestle with it together. And God did some amazing miracles out of that message on divorce in our fifth week as a little baby infant church. And so we're going to largely just let the text decide what's next instead of us deciding what's next. And so Walt is back up here again talking about forgiveness. Here we are. And the big idea for today, because... It is similar in a sense to the way we talked about forgiveness, but it is another angle on forgiveness today. And so the big idea, if you've got a handout, matter of fact, uh, Karen notified me that some of the baptism handouts got mixed in. So if you have a handout that's talking about baptism, um, you need to get another one because does anybody have a handout that says baptism? No? Okay, everybody got one? Good. Um, On your handout there, if you're a note taker, you can fill in these blanks. The result of a prayer relationship with God is renovated forgiveness. Now, we're just coming out of, uh, hopefully, Jesus breaking down our prayer facades, okay? And, and essentially, I believe what's going on here is as he follows up that, that section on prayer and goes right into talking about forgiveness again, I think essentially what you, could, what you could say he's communicating to us is the fact that if you have this kind of conversation with me, if you have this kind of relationship that I'm illustrating in, in this prayer, if you have this kind of connection with me, to where we've had these kind of conversations, then your relationships and your perspectives and the things that you're holding on to, the bitterness and the unforgiveness, if you've had this kind of conversation with me, you can't possibly walk away unchanged. You can't possibly walk away without at least feeling some kind of gut feeling that you've got some forgiveness issues that need to be dealt with because you have been in the presence, in relationship with God, and that changes you. A few weeks ago when, when we first started talking about the prayer facade, I did a, a message that, that started that off. And one thing that I said, and I, and I believe is true, is that prayer is not as much about changing God's mind or changing God. Prayer is about changing us. Prayer is about getting our perspective to be God's perspective. Prayer is about getting our perspective lined up with the kingdom perspective. And, and that's a lot of what's going on in that prayer. And so he ends by saying this. He ends this little section on prayer by saying this, starting Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, they'll be up on the screen. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is one of those scriptures that if Walt Anderson had the authority to pick what we talked about, we might just skip over it because it's a little uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's, it's not an easy one to navigate because there's, you know, you read that and it's one of those that you can just kind of read through and you go, okay, man, I need to forgive people. But if you really are a thoughtful individual and you take the time to really look at that and unpack it, it can really have some ramifications on a lot of different levels, okay? Now, it's interesting to me to see that Jesus, without doubt, I mean, I'm not denying He is drawing a connection between our forgiveness of others and receiving forgiveness from God. I mean, I I can't explain that any other way. He's drawing a connection between a right relationship with other people and a right relationship with Him. Does that make sense? He is saying there is a connection. All right? Now, it's our job to unpack what exactly that connection looks like. And I will tell you this, as we sang earlier in the the song, Counting on Your Name. Ultimately, this issue has to do with what you're putting your hope and your trust in. You look at this and you go, does this mean that God is going to withdraw my salvation from me? If I don't forgive somebody. Well, if we truly believe that we're counting on Him alone for our salvation, then that would simply mean that we're not counting on anything of ourselves for our salvation, right? And if we're not counting on ourselves for salvation, then why would we begin to count on ourselves for losing salvation? You see what I'm saying? If I didn't do anything, I, never, I, never, I was never worthy of my salvation to begin with. It's not like one day I realized I am, I am supremely worthy of God's gift of salvation, so I'm going to take it. And then a few days later, I realized I messed up, and all of a sudden I'm not worthy anymore. I was never worthy of that gift. So he gave it to me when I wasn't worthy, why would it make sense for him to take it away because I'm not worthy? He gave it to me when I wasn't worthy. So I, as I've as I've done some study and, and look in, in commentaries and things, I believe that this is speaking more of keeping a proper relationship with God and not about actually having to constantly be forgiven over and over and over again. The concept here is not that well, you've lost you know, the forgiveness of God and you're now back on a bad, a bad path again and God doesn't love you and He's taken your salvation from you. It's, are you in that, that right, proper relationship with Him? And what he's saying is you can't be if you're not in right, proper relationship with others. That, that's, that's what he's saying. Now, I believe there's the, the distinction, and you say, well, what, what do you base this upon? Well, I believe the, dis, the distinction is, is found in two fancy words, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll unpack those words for you because I, I don't want to assume that anybody would know what these words mean. They're not words that we use in everyday language. Um, but what, what we're seeing here is the difference between two words, the word justification and the word sanctification, okay? Okay. The word justification and sanctification. Let me let me uh, unpack those for you. Justification means the one-time forgiveness of all your sin that takes place when you give your life to Christ. It's an instant. It's a right now. It's a one-time thing. You put your faith in Christ as your forgiver and your leader. You put your life in Christ's hands as, as your Lord and Savior, and instantly you are justified. And justified literally in in in... Everyday vernacular. It just means to be made right. You were made right with God. You were in right standing with God. Not because of what you did. Not because of your good choice. Not because of the fact that you, you know, help out at the soup kitchen on on Wednesday mornings. Or whatever. It's not anything based upon you. It's based upon the fact that Jesus paid the penalty and applied that to our lives And so he now has made us right with God through what Christ did. That's why when we say counting on your name in that song, we're saying, Jesus, your name is the one that makes me right with God. It's your name. It's not me. And I'm counting on that. Because there's a sense of hope and anticipation to that, right? Because all that hasn't been realized yet. So we're counting on that. That's what we're putting our hope and our foundation on. That's justification. One time, boom, justified. Sanctification is a little bit different. And I want you to clue in on the word process. I want you to clue in on the word journey. Okay? Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit working in your life to make you more like Christ. Justification happens... And it kick starts sanctification in your life. It begins that process. Now, I have some really good friends in, in ministry and in church, great folks, love Jesus. I think they're fantastic. They believe, some of these, some of my friends believe that sanctification is a one time event. It's a you are sanctified. One time. Okay. And and they believe it's separate from justification. They believe that you're justified, and then, you know, at some point later, you're sanctified. Okay? Well, I would say they're partially right in the sense that sanctification, it does have to happen at one time, just like justification does, because the word sanctified literally just means set apart. It just means set apart. But the process of sanctification is a lifelong process. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But we, we believe here at Renovation that Scripture teaches that when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. It, 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 the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. As a matter of fact, my three-year-old Emma uh, has lately, she's been looking at her belly button trying to find the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're working out those theology issues. But, um, but, uh, but, but, but she gets the drift, right? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you when you, when you give your life. To Christ, But we also believe that there are many times that the Holy Spirit will fill you and empower you for acts of service, for preaching, teaching, evangelism, sharing the good news, leading worship, um, showing encouragement, prayer. I mean, what, whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit will fill you. So we, we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us, if, if we've given our lives to Christ, and that can't change. But we do believe that we have to be willing to ask and be available for the Holy Spirit to fill us and use us and, and work in our lives. That make sense? So sanctification is that process of the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives to make us more like Christ. Now, I'll give this comment on, on the process of sanctification. And this is, I said this in the last service, this is just Walt, okay? This is just Walt sharing a thought on something. Um, if I ever write a commentary, which I won't because I don't have a funny looking hat and a tassel and all the robes and stuff. But if I ever write a commentary, um, this would be in it. And it's, so it's just a comment. It's a comment from me. So take it for what you will. An old pastor, a friend of mine used to say, chew the meat and spit the bones. So this is just me. But I look at sanctification this way. You can choose to actively submit to the the, the process. You can, you can, we have will, okay? So you can choose to actively submit to the process of sanctification. Or you can resist. But, If you have really given your life to Christ, if you've really put your faith in Christ, this process is happening in your life. Whether you surrender to it or whether you resist it, it is happening. Because, let's go back to what it is, right? What is sanctification? It's the work of the Holy Spirit making you more like Christ. He is working in your life whether you submit to that or whether you don't. I don't know if, if you've ever been to uh, a wave pool at a water park, okay? Um, I tried to use ocean as the analogy, but in my mind, I kept drowning. So I, I thought that's probably not, that's not the analogy I'm looking for. Um, but if you've ever been to a wave pool, you know, a wave pool has a, pretty good force, right? I mean, it's a pretty good, pretty good power. You get water moving, and it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. You have two choices in a wave pool. You can either ride the wave, give, give in to the wave and, and ride it and let it take you on up to the, to the edge of the pool, or you can decide, I am not letting this wave take me. I'm not doing it. Now, I don't know how long you'll last I've not done the scientific research for, you know, what the average human could stand in a wave pool before the wave, you know, gets the best of them. I don't really know. But what I do know is that eventually, the wave will take you to the edge of the pool. Eventually, right? I mean, you might be dead, but it's going to take you to the edge of the pool. Okay? I think sanctification is kind of that way in the sense that The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is moving. To to the extent that you participate in that, to the extent that you make yourself available, to the extent that you submit yourself, is is how successful and how quick and how fun the ride on the wave is going to be. Right? But regardless, He's working. And so it can, either be a, a, a way that, it can either be in a way that you submit and go, I'm going to work with you. Or it can be in a way that you go, I'm justified and I'm, I believe all that stuff, but I am not going to be on the process of becoming more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, then we'll just make this difficult. Right? I mean, we're, we're, we're going to do it. <laughs> so we can either do it the hard way. Or we can do it the fun way. Notice I didn't say the easy way, because neither one of them are easy. I don't know how many of you could look back on your life, and maybe you didn't recognize it until now. But, but I believe, and I'm, I don't, I'm not one of these that believes every time something bad happens, you think it's you know God trying to teach you a lesson. I, I don't mean that. I do think God can teach lessons from anything. But I do believe you can look back at your life sometimes, and you can probably identify, if you're anything like me, those moments when you resisted the fact that the Holy Spirit wanted to do something and, and you ended up paying a price for that. And you came back around eventually, but it wasn't quite as maybe pain-free or it wasn't quite as fun as it could have been if you have just said yes to begin with you can think about uh Jonah in the old testament right i mean some of you that have been around church have heard that you know god's calling jonah to go tell these folks in nineveh about about uh you know basically to give them a chance to turn the the turn the whole thing around and jonah's like nah i'm not going to those ra- those rascals so he hops a boat in the other direction well we all know the story i mean if you've if you've heard the i mean it's almost it's one of those stories that's become more of a children's story than a Bible account, but it's a Bible account. This, this happened. And the, the fish swallowed him up. How many of you understand Jonah was going to Nineveh? Like, I mean, that's, that, that was not like, you know, that was going to happen, all right? He took the long way, okay? And, and really, in God's grace, it's really God's grace that swallows us up in the fish sometimes, right? Because that's him going, I'm not going to let you completely go the way you want to go because that wouldn't be best for you and it's not going to further my kingdom. So I'm going to let you hang out in the fish for a little while and then we're going to get you back on track and we're going to get you going in the right direction. That You know, you see kind of how that works? And so I think sanctification is that way. Um. And I think what's, what we're seeing in this text is he's saying, you may be justified, but if you're not actively in the process of, of submitting to sanctification, and a big part of that is having right relationships with other people and forgiveness happening when you've been hurt, then you are not going to receive the full extent of of that depth of insight that comes from having that right relationship with God because these relational forgiveness issues are still weighing you down in the wave pool. Jesus gives another illustration that we'll use to to kind of kind of do the back end here of this talk. Um, Matthew 18. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 18. If not, again, it'll be up on the screen. Verses 21 through 35, Jesus is, is talking to, uh, to, to some disciples and some folks sitting around listening. And Peter, who was one of his disciples, uh, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, what you got to understand is, is in Jewish custom, the, the forgiveness time was like three times, okay? So Peter's going... Hey, you know, I'm willing to go four more. You know, and I'm doing pretty good. I got seven. I mean, that's more than double what I was expected to do. And Jesus answered, "I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times." Now, don't get hung up on numbers here, because that's not the point. Some translations say seventy times seven. You know, that's not the point. The point is, you keep on forgiving. That, that's that's the point. You know, Jesus was illustrating. You know, I mean, who really keeps up with seventy-seven times if you forgive somebody? The point is, it's more than you can keep up with. You just keep on forgiving, essentially, because God keeps forgiving, so you keep forgiving. That's 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 kind of what he's what he's getting at there. And he says this. He he starts a parable, and a parable is just a story intended to teach a a lesson, intended to apply to our lives. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison till he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owned. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, that's a, that's a difficult story, right? I mean, that, that's, that's hard to hear. There's a lot of junk going on there, but essentially, it's illustrating our relationship to God, and one thing that I thought was interesting was the figure, uh, the, the number there, the talents that, uh, that the servant owed the master would have, would have equaled in today's terms about six billion dollars, about six billion dollars. Now I don't know if you know what your understanding of servant servitude is, but I'm going to assume a servant wouldn't have six billion dollars, um, or else he wouldn't be a servant, right? And so you know this is a big, uh, and it's a story, of course, but it's it's a big, big debt. Now, what it illustrates. Essentially, it illustrates several things. First of all, it illustrates the amount of debt that we owe because of our sins. You see, that figure, $6 billion, maybe you have been, you know, lucky enough in your life to to be able to, to deal with those kind of figures. I can't wrap my mind around what $6 billion is exactly like. You know, like I think, man, if I had $6 billion, you know, might buy a new house, and I probably get the upholstery fixed in my Jeep. Um, maybe a new guitar or something. I don't really need one. I mean, like six billion dollars. Like we're talking houses, companies, you know, boats. I mean, I, you know, just and you just you know just keep on going. I can't relate to six billion dollars. All right, and that's the that's the illustration. That's how big the the separation is between us and God because of our sin. It's so big that we can't wrap our minds around it. It's so big that that we can't do anything about it. Now, if somebody said, you owe me $100, your first thought is, well, I don't really want to give you $100, but I could scrounge up $100 to pay you back. I can handle that. But if I if somebody said you owe me six billion dollars, you're going I can't handle I can't I can't do that. That's that's not I don't have enough stuff to sell to pay you back. And that kind of desperation, that kind of separation, is what this parable is illustrating. That that's the separation that our sin creates between us and God. And then secondly, I've kind of said this, the second thing it illustrates is our complete inability to pay the debt. and It was not happening. This, this servant wasn't going to go, yeah, let me go to the ATM real quick, I'll be right back with $6 billion. It wasn't happening. There was inability to pay this back, and we've got the same problem. Number three, it illustrates God's patience in not giving us what we deserve for not paying the debt. I mean, that, that, that's, that's huge, right? I mean, this master had every reason to say, sell the wife, sell the kids, sell the house, sell it all. I'm getting that debt back from you, whatever it takes. If I have to take your own life, I'm doing it. He had every right to do that, right? It was owed to him. The courts would have sided in his favor. It was owed his way. But how amazing... And patient and loving for that master to say, forgiven. I'm forgiving that debt. So it illustrates God doing that for us. And then number four, the great lengths that God, God went in order to pay our debt through the death of His Son. I completely botched that sentence. Let me say it again. The great lengths that God went to in order to pay our debt through the death of his son. Now, let me, just, let me just help you understand. It doesn't illustrate that as much in the parable because really, you know, Jesus uh, hadn't died yet. So that illustration was about to happen in, in living color for them very soon. But what we know, hindsight being what it is, what we know now is that it wasn't just that the debt was forgiven on our behalf. It was that God said, not only am I just... I'm not just going to forgive it, because that's not how it worked. There had to be bloodshed. There had to be payment for the sin. I'm going to take my own son, and I'm going to let him die in your place. And then I'm going to say, you're free. I'll be honest. I got two precious little girls in there. And even on their worst days... I'm not giving them up to die for anybody. And I I like you guys just fine, but I'm sorry. But that's the great love of God, that He would do that. So that's what we're illustrating here. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple takeaways um, from this parable that we, we have to begin to understand. And... There's some blanks there on your paper, I, I believe, that you can fill in. There's a couple takeaways from today that the parable illustrates beautifully. Here's the first thing. Number one, God's gift of salvation is immeasurably great. We can't measure the weight of our sin. It's too big. Just like I can't wrap my mind around $6 billion. And so the response to dealing with that kind of debt must be immeasurable, must be huge. So that's one, that's one takeaway. So just leave today knowing, man, God did a big thing. That's a good thing to leave knowing every day from church. And here's the second thing. If a person is completely unwilling and unmoved to forgive those who have harmed them, then chances are that, first of all, perhaps God's mercy has not had a saving effect on them. Now, I'm just throwing that out as a possibility. I don't believe that God God gives our salvation to us. It's got nothing to do with us. And then he takes it away. Because if he was going to take it away because we didn't earn it, then he would have never given it to us because we never did anything to earn it to begin with. So my question is if a person is completely unmoved and unchanged to forgive or has no compassion to forgive, my my inclination is that perhaps they've never really been moved by the saving forgiveness, the saving power of God. That, that's, that's one possibility. Okay. And I think as we look at as we look at this, we can't argue with what Jesus was saying they will be liable to pay the consequences. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be thrown in jail and tortured like this servant was. That's not the point. But if you've ever been tortured by bitterness or unforgiveness or not being able to sleep at night because you just can't let go of that situation that has hurt you, how many of you understand that's like being tortured in a prison? I've been there. So I think this is the question for this morning as we, um, as we look at this concept of renovated forgiveness. And, and I'll leave you with this and I'm done. I'm out of time. Have you, and I ask this any chance I can get, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about went to church. I'm not talking about confirmation class. I'm not talking about, well, my mom or my dad was this or that. Forget, just come on, guys, let's cut the bull. Have you made a decision for yourself for nobody else but you, that you are going to give your life to Christ. Because let me tell you something, if you have not, then this forgiveness that we're talking about cannot begin to happen in your life in the way that we've talked about this morning. Follow-up question for some of you maybe that have given your life to Christ. Are you actively, openly submitting and surrendering to the process that is happening in your life of sanctification? Are you saying, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm available, I'm, I'm ready to forgive who needs to be forgiven, I'm ready to, to, to ride that wave, I'm ready to do what needs to be done, because I don't want that relationship to be fractured at all. I want to be in the flow of that relationship with God, not fighting against it. Because as long as you're fighting against it, then what it's saying is you can experience God's forgiveness and that relationship in the deepest way that He wants you to. And I think that as we, as we do look at this table, and we, we land here every week, as we do look at this table, once again, we're reminded of the, from these elements Of how great and immeasurable it truly was that God sent his son so that we could sit here and talk about becoming like him and forgiving like him. That, that's really what he's saying. He's saying, Look at this table, see what I've done, and now you do it. This is the proclamation of forgiveness. And now he's saying, you partake, you take from this table and you go out and demonstrate what this proclamates, proclaims. That's not a word. What this proclaims, right? And so as he broke this bread with his disciples that night, as I've said many times, they didn't completely understand what was going on. But he knew that his body was going to be was going to be racked and tortured and broken to pay the forgiveness debt that you and I owed. He he knew that. And as he poured the wine into the cup, they didn't know the significance of that. We we do hindsights now 2020 for us, right? They didn't know, but Jesus knew that that was going to be his blood that would be poured, spilled, literally drained from his body for our forgiveness. And that now, if you accept this gift, here's the amazing thing. If you accept this gift, when God looks at you, he sees that blood. It's it's washed you. It's it's a buffer that has washed you clean and and has forgiven you. As Sue and and Sam come forward, uh, we're going to celebrate this idea of what exactly God did. And I want you to think as you come. And they they have words that they're going to share with you as you come. And we do use wine. If you choose not to use wine, we have uh, cups of juice over there as well. But as you come, they're going to say some words for you, and I want you to think about those words and what Jesus did. And then I want you to ask yourself the questions that I asked you earlier. Have I given my life to Christ? And then secondly, am I actively, willingly participating in the process that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in my life? And part of that is dealing with unforgiveness, a big part of that. Am I doing that? And then spend some time in prayer as the band leads. Don't, don't, I want, I want, to, I want you to challenge you to do a little differently. Don't jump right into singing or talking or getting coffee or, or whatever. I want you to spend a, mem, a moment. Because how often do we take moments to really think? But take just a moment to think about this. And then ask yourself, what is, what is my response going to be? There's going to be some folks that will be willing to pray with you. We believe that there's power in having someone else pray for you and with you. Don't be like me and think, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, somebody else needs their time. You're just as valuable to God as anybody else. As you come, you can place your gifts, but more importantly, your connect cards in the baskets And then take some time to really think about what all this means this morning.